podcast um i had this suggested to me by a prospective listener since we haven't actually put these out yet published them yet but we're going to soon uh on how to convert a traditional lawn without freaking out your neighbors and you'd be surprised at how big of an issue this can be but it doesn't have to be so first of all that means we're we're looking at taking a traditionally, you know, manicured golf course type lawn area and turning it into one of our regenerated landscapes with uh, hopefully, you know, the bulk of them being native plants and plants that are uh, hardy to the area. To start with, before you start putting that shovel in and digging or doing anything, it's probably a really good idea. I'm just putting it out there. Maybe try talk to your neighbors. Some people don't even nowadays they don't even know who their neighbors are. They don't talk to them, they don't interact with them. And I think that's actually part of the problem. If you find some sort of commonality that you guys can engage in, whether it's like uh oh, we both have dogs, there's something to talk about or um noticing somebody mowing their lawn and trimming your hedge, whatever it is. Just little things that you can get started for some banter. But Doing a regenerated lawn is actually, I think, a great way to break the ice. Uh, we were talking about this before in another episode, actually. It gives a conversation piece that can reduce the stress of, of interacting with a neighbor, whether they're new or somebody you just haven't talked with for a long time or whatever. And part of how you can do this is find commonalities in your neighbor's interests. So if you found examples of other regenerated lawns or pieces of native park or garden areas that maybe you like the look of, um, maybe some pictures online, maybe even individual species, like some pretty flower. Try to try to get a few things that are visually very stunning, which Alberta has a ton of. We've got all kinds of really cool flowers and plants. So that, that there's no lack of that. But find some of those things. Then you can actually show your neighbors and then they get a better idea because just blurting out regenerative landscaping might not sink into everybody. But if you show them pictures, people are very visual. And if they see a pretty plant or oh, wow, I here I was thinking you were just going to have this whole weedy, unkept section of who knows what over here, and I don't want your weeds coming on my lawn, and blah, 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 blah. But if they start to see um, these these pictures and these plans of what you're hopefully going to do and see how, how beautiful it can be, then sometimes that gets people a little bit more on board. Um, I also don't recommend people trying to convert your neighbors just because they have the well-kept lawn don't sit there and try to shove the regenerative landscaping down their faces right off the bat. Um, that's probably not a good way to go about it. Best way is to lead by example. So concentrate on doing your own piece, and over time, other people may come around, and then who knows, within a few years, you may have all kinds of neighbors in the neighborhood going, "Hey, can you help me out with this?" Or, "How do you? How? Where did you go to to get this um this work done?" Or, "How do I find these native plants?" Or any one of a million things, right? So, um. Also, what we were talking about in our, um, I guess, the five W's or whatever we're going to call that last episode 
of regenerative landscaping, inform your neighbors of the benefits and the purpose of doing a regenerative uh, lawn. So try to, you know, come up with all these positives, like, oh, you know, I'm just doing this so that uh, I don't have to water as much later down the road. Uh, I don't really like mowing anymore, so I'm going to put these trees and shrubs and plants in instead. I'm going to actually create a nice little water feature. I don't like my basement flooding in the spring. You know, whatever it is or combination thereof, you can give these positives to your neighbors about why you are doing this. Not, again, why they should be doing it. Focus on you. Try to, again, what I was saying before, try to choose species that have uh, appeal visually, like the flowers and that kind of thing, or ones that may have equivalents in the traditional lawn type of format. So you guys, I'm sure, uh, Dan, you could probably suggest a few grass species or sedge species that would be similar to some of the, the lawn species that people would have, but they're actually native and are hardier, uh, but still maybe accomplish the same thing as far as ground cover or visual appeal or how long they stayed green and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, you really are putting me on the spot. <laughs> well, I was thinking of, because um, I just know things like there's the... Um, the poas and the fescues fescue. and the these kind of things. Uh, uh, yeah, like I mean, I mean, me personally, I kind of yeah, like I like a fescue or like a wild Canada wild rye or uh, even like a blue gramma grass or green needle grass. Like those ones are like appealing to me, but yeah, like off the top of my head, I actually can't really think of a grass that's pretty similar to like your typical turf grass like like i mean like fescue is as close as you're gonna get i think but something to get almost at that same um kind of height uh if that yeah. makes sense like because most something of the like the blue mountain growing tall but yeah ones that are a little more low growing where you know you might not even need to yeah like mow it as much because it only grows uh, pretty short, like maybe a couple feet tall max, but and even that might be even too tall. But um, yeah, off the top of my head, I can't really think of. I was thinking of the things like the the blue mountain fescue or something, where it's it's a, a relative of the other fescues, but it's native, but it'll still grow shorter, stay greener longer. You could still mow it. Um, there's also species that I guess we've got two basic categories of grasses. You've got your clumpers and you've got your spreaders. And so if you want to do more of a uniform lawn area, you can use the spreading grasses. Um, if you're wanting more of a um, aesthetic feature, you can use some of the clumping grasses. I think a lot of people uh, are probably familiar with the, the feather uh, grasses that they use in the um, commercial landscaping in the urban, you know, on the boulevards, that kind of thing. They're quite tall and have this nice feathery plume that look like a fountain of grass. But there's actually native versions that look uh, have that same sort of appeal and look, but but they're native. So there's that kind of thing that you can kind of show your neighbor um, again, not to try and convert them, but it's just to, to show them that you know what you're planning on doing has is very it can be very similar to what they're they're used to, I guess. It gives you a way to uh, 
to bridge that gap where they're they're just they can't see beyond the traditional um, methods and and plants at the moment, right? And it's a way it's kind of your way to open the door. And then once they start to go, oh, okay, well these native grasses, um, sedges. There's also uh, dry land or midland sedges as well that can be used, but it just kind of opens that door and then you can start gradually adding in. Yeah. And I'm also going to, you know, I'm going to do some trees and shrubs, or maybe I'm going to put in some forbs. So the, the flowers, that kind of thing. It just gives you that, um, that start, that starting point to get in with your neighbors. Try when you're planning on making your, your new uh, garden area that you do choose some species that are um, visually appealing to the average onlooker uh, so that they aren't thinking, oh my God, you do just have a whole smorgasbord of weeds sitting here and this is just disgusting and I'm going to call the county on you. If you, I mean, we've got lots of plants that have red and blue, purple, yellow, white flowers, um, really interesting leaves, uh, seed heads, uh, different colored barks, all these things. We've got a lot of beautiful plants in Alberta. So if you can incorporate some of those into whatever format you're doing, that can help you on the road to convincing a neighbor that, hey, this stuff can be functional and it can look good. It doesn't just have to look like a weedy nest of stuff. You can also choose species that are less likely to spread or what we call aggressive uh, plants because we even though they're not considered invasives, we do have natives that are very aggressive and they're meant to overtake the habitat they're in or they have to fight equally hard with something else that might be an invasive um, or in a certain area. And so that may work out well in a larger area when you're doing reclamation or you've got a large piece of farmland or something like that. But in an urban yard where you're dealing with a smaller space, Maybe that might not be the best idea because if your neighbor neighbor isn't into it, you may not want them spreading everywhere. So again, this is where the research on your plant species comes in handy. And again, talking to somebody like da, 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 Kevin and Dan. If you can and your neighbors start to come around to it, it doesn't do any harm to include them in your planning and maybe even your planting of your regenerative landscape. Um, a lot of people, if they just feel included, that's all it takes. They, they just want to know, be informed and know what's going on and feel like they're a member of the community. And then they're glad to say, oh, yeah, I don't mind this happening at all. And again, being part of that evolution, um, going from putting things in the bare ground to suddenly, you know, one a few years later, you may say, oh, look, I saw you got birds and you got rabbits and, uh, you know, all, the, all this wildlife coming through. And, oh, you know what? I've noticed now I've got more pollinators in my vegetable garden, and I think they're coming from your place. Any, any of these kind of things are really helpful. Definitely. And this is where uh, either joining something like the Native Plant Society, talking to uh, some experts like Kevin, Dan, myself, um, or some others that you trust would come in really handy because you need to know the difference between invasives and natives because you do not want to be putting in a whole bunch of invasive species then suddenly your neighbor has something legitimate to complain about. Um, most of the counties also have what they consider their invasives posted on their websites or 
You can go into their town offices and get a list. Uh, it varies from place to place what we consider invasive in Alberta or even certain counties of Alberta may not be the same as another province or somewhere in the states, let's say, or whatever. So make sure you check out with your particular county or your particular city or urban area. And a good resource, too, that I usually look at is uh, the USDA website. They, they are, yes, the name says U.S., but they are fairly rock solid in the uh, quality and standards of their information. So. Yeah, because it gives you a good idea of, I mean, like, it'll tell you a, a good chunk of information about the plant you're looking at, but I think the big thing to take away from that is kind of the range that it shows as what what's considered its native range throughout mm -hmm. North America, but also its introduced range or kind of in between, and sometimes there's just not enough data to uh, determine uh, some of these plants, and that's where maybe you have to look somewhere else, but... I think, yeah, as Don said, there's so many resources that you can look at to figure out, okay, what can you plant, what you can't plant, or what's native versus what's introduced. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like, the the biggest thing that you really want to look at is what, depending on where you're living, what the city, county, whoever determines what is native and what isn't, or what's considered a prohibited noxious versus a noxious. And following those guidelines because yeah you don't want to plant something that you think is native but then turns out as a noxious weed and then you have to get rid of it because yeah somebody complained or you had a, a bylaw inspector come by and then you kind of ruin the nice uh, regenerative landscape that you just built and instead now you're building a wall right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so and also um educational uh, services as well. So if you go to Nate or the U of A, um, there's a lot of resources there that can help you with identification and uh, information regarding not just weeds and that kind of thing as well. Then that brings me to uh, don't take off more than you can chew. If you are deciding you're doing this work yourself, know what your limits are that, okay, if I can only do a five by five square meter area, this season then there's nothing wrong with sticking with that or if you know you're hiring somebody out that if your budget is x amount of dollars and you need to stay within that you don't have to sacrifice the quality of work for what you're doing you can just make it either a layered planting which means you're maybe putting in the trees one year and then putting in um, some forbs the next year and then finishing it off with a wetland feature the following year so you're doing it in stages or by sections so that you're doing it more like a puzzle okay well this year we're going to do this area right by the house the next season we're going to do something else either one of those are, are perfectly fine and they can help either stretch your budget or help you over time be able to to do kind of a payment schedule so that you know you can get what you really want and need in the end and not sacrifice quality or the diversity or anything like that and it also helps if you just go and plow a whole area and then you only plant part of it or, or have to spread the plants out so far guess what you're going to get weeds and invasives moving in because that's what they do so you want to make sure that you're only doing what you can handle at a time 
so that that it's easier to manage and these invasives and other things don't start happening. Or soil erosion would be another one. You don't want, you know, half of your hill to just get eroded off because it was left bare for a season or two. So yeah, just have some forethought. This is where the planning comes in. So you can do a staged planting or layered planting, whatever it is. And by doing that, then you're showing your neighbors that you're responsible and can manage that planting before expanding to something else. So then again, they might be more receptive to it rather than, oh my God, here you go again. You you haven't finished your deck for five years. So what makes you think you're going to be able to do this lawn or garden area? And they're already disappointed. If you already have a fence or a border of trees or shrubs, or, you know, obviously for the visual part of it, that can help. Um, if you haven't done that and, you know, you're, maybe your neighbor's still not very on board, um, it is something to consider. I mean, we don't really want to build walls between everybody and we want to be on, on a good rapport with our neighbors. But if it's just that they don't want to look at something and that's the only problem they're having, well, consider putting in a solid fence or a border of trees or shrubs or something. It can also help with the wind as a windbreak and from things blowing into your neighbor's yard or vice versa. Maybe maybe they're the ones with the crappy weedy yard and you don't want it on your nice native lawn. I don't know. But that's something to look at as well. Something that would be an extra bonus is, you know, put up some cute little signs on your trees or your fences or your garden lawn area um, that provides information. Maybe it, it designates a certain species or hey, this is a pollinator plant, or this particular plant does whatever, or you can eat this one, or you know, just little things like that. People find that uh, really interesting and engaging. And it, again, helps break down a pe- person's natural defensive tendencies if it's something that they initially think they don't like. Once they get the information, they go, oh, wow, that's actually pretty cool. I did not know we had over 250 species of bees in Alberta. Wow, this is pretty cool. Um, So again, by putting out the information, uh, also by giving your neighbors maybe some pamphlets or online links, maybe our podcast, wink, wink, uh, they can further inform themselves too. And like I said before, lead by example. So go out to create and maintain a stunning regenerative landscape. So it will give people no reason to complain. So make sure you're going out there. And initially, there is a bit of work. So you, so you don't just plop things in and walk away. There will be a bit of weeding to start with, maybe some deadheading or trimming. Uh, but after a season or two passes, you'll find that the workload gets reduced tremendously. And over time, you don't have to do much of anything. Consider sharing the rewards of your regenerated landscape with your neighbors. So maybe you've got some wild tea plants or some berries or um, some pretty flowers. And you can harvest some of them and share them with your neighbors or do some baking with them and um, pass them off to your neighbors. Um, that's kind of a, a goodwill type of thing to do as well. Um, and although no matter what we may think, there will always be some that are stuck on the immaculate golf course type of lawn, you will be surprised that if you go about it in a um, approachable type of manner and informed type of manner that you'd be surprised at how many of your neighbors may come around and in time may even ask for your assistance in helping start creating their own regenerative landscape. That, that's a good point because 
yeah, there's two things I kind of want to talk about. One was with that last point that you made that I started doing a little bit of native plant planting, regenerative landscape planting uh, in the front of my yard. And I've got a lot of people kind of curious as to, oh, those are kind of like plants I haven't really seen before because a lot of it, a lot of the yards in my neighborhood are very, you know, traditional traditional lawn and traditional horticulture uh, annuals that they'll put in. Uh, but a lot of the native stuff that I put in, you know, everybody's very curious about it. And even some people were like, oh, where can I get that from? And then like, sometimes I would just be, I have all this seed from some of these plants because some of these native plants produce so much seeds that sometimes mm -hmm. I don't want them to drop it all in that spot because I don't want it to become too, like we've said, too weedy or too unkempt. Um, so I would just kind of give seeds to these people and just kind of give them a little info as to how you plant or how you seed it and how you kind of maintain it. Then once it gets to a certain point, like if you have to cut it back or anything and kind of groom it a little bit, because one plant, for example, I have is Agastache foniculum or giant hyssop. And while those are, they have nice, beautiful purple flowers and they're very tall, but the problem is that I found is they produce so many seeds that if you don't do anything to cut the seeds before they actually drop them all into the ground, you're just going to have. Oh, yeah, they, they love to grow right? all over the place. Yeah, it's great. Of them. And they're also perennials, so they also reproduce mm -hmm. uh, by rhizomes. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have two ways of producing, keep reproducing a lot. So trying to limit that with that particular plant helps to make it kind of look a little bit nicer. Anyway, so long story short, uh, people in the neighborhood have started to kind of look more at the idea of regenerative landscapes and the idea of putting native plants into their own yards. And you know, it was just a simple thing of just talking to people in your neighborhood and just kind of explaining why, you know, why you kind of put these native plants in in the first place. Uh, so that was one thing. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was following some of the points that Don has been speaking on was there was one project that I worked on with Clark Ecosciences Sustainability a few years ago. Um, and I forget the guy's name, but he asked us to do a regenerative landscape in his front yard. And actually, I wasn't there when they first did it. I kind of came at the tail end of um the landscaping design or maintaining i guess but and i think it was a story in the edmonton journal but the idea was this fellow he put uh a regenerative landscape in his front yard uh he put a bioswale in because he was having too much water pooling at the front of his yard and wanted some way to kind of uh, reduce the impact of that so he built a uh, a natural bioswale with all these native plants and um, a lot of people in the neighborhood didn't like it or thought it, they were actually weedy, like weed species, so something like Canta thistle or something that wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, so a lot of neighbors complained, and then actually bylaw officers uh, came by and actually <laughs> mowed down part of it because you know, they, them they also thought that it was uh, they were weed species too. But then, but that's because they didn't have uh, the knowledge base or. Mm -hmm didn't actually talk to the homeowner and you know say oh well i actually know these aren't weeds they're it may look weedy but they're actually plants native to this area and these are the benefits of these plants and this is why i built it the way i did so eventually it did get to the point where 
and this was when 2013 or between 2013 and 2016 when things were kind of being built and designed and kind of established to a point where you didn't have to think about it as much anymore but in that time i think the neighbors in the city have kind of turned their uh, perspective a little bit to kind of embracing the idea of native plants and regenerative landscapes a little bit more because uh, at first, the city wasn't very understand the importance of uh, these kind of landscapes. And now I think, you know, the city has its own little page on its website specific for, you know, native plants in your yard and talking about the benefits of all that. So I think they've definitely <laughs> turned around on the idea, but kind of comes back to the idea of you have to educate, educate, educate. Yeah. T- yeah, you have to educate and you have to talk to these people telling them why you're doing what you're doing and the importance of it and how even you can do something to help as well and, it, and again it doesn't have to be big you can yeah. be as small as like a square meter thing to try it out and uh, if you want to build upon it sure you can yeah treat it like in segments um and yeah it doesn't have to be messy too you can design it to make it as wild as you like but then yeah you hope that you kind of want to talk to your neighbors and hope that that's okay because the last thing you kind of want is to build it all and then your neighbors are kind of mad that oh why does this look like you know a wild forest but you can also treat it like a, any other landscaping job where you kind of design it more to look more aesthetically pleasing to yourself and other people in your neighborhood with you know added you know rock features or some sort of fencing or bordering and putting the native plants uh, putting designing them in a way that looks pleasing to the eye oh yeah i think there's middle ground for sure and i don't i think people underestimate the ability of native plants to be used in um more formal type garden settings or even i've been experimenting them uh with uh container gardening and things and I, i've been developing some really nice uh planters um for different things uh next season i'm hoping to do some some living uh art with some plants um that can go out in people's yards and gardens or whatever too and it's amazing what you can do but again it's it goes back to the to the education, which is part of why I've been doing these uh, workshops and the nature walks and everything so that people uh, can learn more about the plants. Because I don't know if you find, I think a lot of people, they like what's exotic. So wherever you are, you always want something from somewhere else, right? And to find out that all of these wonderful plants in your own backyard are just as amazing and you don't have to spend the money on uh, the shipping, the logistics of them and having heat for them and all these other things. Um, I think it's a, a great added value. So it's just, it's, I think we're on the edge of something big because yes, we're seeing the counties and the cities and uh, individuals and groups and even companies starting to come around to the, the native plant and the regenerative landscape idea, but we still have to keep pushing forward with education so that people uh, don't come across with uh, negative ideas about it uh, and they're misinformed. So for sure. I don't know if you had anything to add to that, Kevin, or? Yeah, just a little bit. So I'm thinking that I don't, I really don't think that your neighbor's gonna freak out about the whole regenerative landscape thing unless they are super close-minded and then they wouldn't be even be listening to our stuff, right? Um, so I think the, the whole point of the regenerative 
landscape. It's not like talking about oh, we are going to build a forest in our front yard. <laughs> We're going to have a a wild forest in the in the backyard. No, it's it's still、mm-hmm. just it's still like、um, similar to the traditional landscape, but we're just using those species that's native and it can sustain itself, and it still requires designing.、Mm-hmm. And we are going to use like layers, different layers. For example, we're going to use those、uh, short species. How do they call it? The oh, the the fork species. Yeah, those. Those are creeping、yeah. ones at the very front, and then we use those、uh, um, probably tall species at the back. We are going to create those layers, and we are going to plant the species according to, for example, we have the early flowering species、mm-hmm. in May, June. Then we have the late flowering species in August. We are going to put those all into consideration and create something that's. As natural as possible, and it's not going to disturb the entire neighborhood and make it look like it's it 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 doesn't belong here. It belongs to somewhere that's in the middle of nowhere. That's not exactly,、happen. and that's where when we educate the people that are considering doing this kind of work to their yards, we can help them put it together in a much more appealing format, so it's a lot easier for them to deal with their neighbors. Right? I think that's where you're going. I guess I I kind of put to, together a list of the The traditional lawn versus the redundant landscapes. No, I'm not going to diss anybody for having a traditional lawn. Part of our lawn is traditional. Most people have some, at least some section of traditional lawn. But just to show you、uh, the benefits of the redundant landscape. So, a traditional lawn can consist of many non-native species, which may require more fertilizer, more water, more maintenance, more of a lot of those resources.、Uh, regenerative landscapes. You can use、uh, sedges and grass species, as well as other、um, species of forbs, like so the flowering plants,、um, shrubs, trees, whatever,、um, to to make your landscape and do so with generally less water fertilizer maintenance、uh, once they're established, and therefore there's less less labor that goes into them, less cost. So that's one bonus.、Um, Quite often, traditional lawns are fairly monoculture, so there's very few species that go into a mix of of grass seed,、um, and this can actually encourage disease、uh, by not providing as diverse habitat or or food for some of these wild、um, animals, whether it's you know bugs all the way up to the birds to the whatever,、um, versus going regenerative style. You're very biodiverse. There's many species to cho- choose from for whatever your、um, planting either requires or what you desire. You know, you may want sun, shade, wet, dry, whatever. But there's a lot of different species that can accommodate that.、Um, and having that diversity builds a system over time where everything balances out. So then you're less likely to have these.、Um, Diseases and pests, and you know all these these issues, which actually are indicators that your system's out of sync.、Um, you also, well, basically,、um, I got a. This is from the NRDC, which is Natural National Resources Defense Council, and just for 
added benefit. Did you know Julia Dr Louis Dreyfus, the comedian from Seinfeld? She actually supports this group, so it's got to be good, right? Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, as of 2016, these are U.S. statistics, but they were what I could find. Um, but it still gives you an idea of, of Canada would be somewhat comparable. So as of 2016 in the U.S., lawns consume nearly three trillion gallons of water, 200 million gallons of gas and 70 million pounds of pesticides. Um, if you convert to the regenerative landscape, uh, you shouldn't be using the pesticides. You wouldn't be using much of any fertilizer. Uh, you can choose, but you don't have to necessarily do any lawn mowing. And again, your water needs to reduce. So like I said before, it's uh, I think an all around winner there. Um, your lawn space, if you're doing traditional lawn, is actually also a more or less uh, quote unquote wasted space. So you're not feeding it to animals, you're not feeding it to yourselves, uh, you're basically using it to have something feel nice on your feet, somewhere to sit, um, maybe you have your barbecues or whatever, but generally speaking, you're not really doing anything more with it. Whereas a regenerative landscape can provide food for animals and humans, medicine, uh, habitat. Um, it can it can be multi-purposeful. Oh, now I okay now I just found my list of lawn substitutes. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, for putting you on the spot earlier. <laughs> so, <coughs> if you uh, so if you're doing a straight all-out lawn substitute as opposed to putting in some tree shrubs, some flowers, that kind of thing. So you you could do a native lawn substitute, but um, I would still suggest doing more diverse with all of these species um, in combination. But if you really want to, so you could use things like the blue grama grass, you could use uh, tufted hair grass, um, depending on whether you've got drier conditions, more moist conditions, that kind of thing going on. Those kind of species are, like what I said before, more of the spreaders. But if you are looking for uh, more aesthetically appealing plants, a lot of times people use clumping grasses as part of a feature. And in those cases, we have things like June grass, which stays green quite a long time throughout the, uh, throughout the growing season. We've got alpine bluegrass. We've got, um, it forms more of like a, a mat. So it's, it would be suitable for a bigger area. Um, we've got species that can go in the shade, in the sun, dry to moist. Uh, one of our more versatile grasses, tickle grasses, I mean, it'll, it'll go in the sun, it'll go partial shade, dry to moist. To, it's uh, a fairly fast growing one. So if you need to fill an area quickly, it might be a great one for that. Um, it is also a clumping grass, though, a bunching grass. So you want to keep that in mind in case you don't like the lumpy look of your lawn. But And then there are also a whole bunch of um, more upland or dryland sedges as well, um, which can be like meadow sedge and can't think of some other ones off the top of my head. I'm terrible with names. But uh, there are a lot of them that you can use um, as well. So... Basically, I guess in a nutshell, there's a lot of reasons to do regenerative landscaping. It uses less resources. I think if you do have a, 
like like Kevin was saying, chances are you shouldn't, if you're going about the right way, you shouldn't have a problem doing such a project in your yard and having your neighbors complain. But if you do have a really cantankerous neighbor, uh, like I said, going about it some of those ways, including them in your process, showing them um, the pictures and the information, uh, basically just getting them involved and educating them are probably your biggest steps to getting them on board with you. And who knows, maybe down the road, they'll even uh, start to consider doing something in their own space. So just keep that in mind and happy landscaping, guys. Woo-woo-woo, <laughs> that's all you say, woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, I wish I can clap my hands here. Why can't you? Are they tied up? <laughs> I don't know, it's not going to record. Huh. I'll insert, I'll insert hand clapping here. And the crowds go wild. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pew, pew.